0: Hello and welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast. My name is Shane Brennan, and I'm Chief Executive of the UK Cold Chain Federation and the host of this podcast. Well, I've got a great edition for you today. I can't say how excited I am about the fact that I'm able to bring you this conversation that I had ever since 2020, when we were all locked in our homes, we're all thinking about not ending sight for the for the pandemic, and we started to hear news of the vaccine and the idea of a vaccine being available that might actually get us out of the situation we were in. I was getting questions in the media. I was talking to members about what would be involved in the logistics operation to get the vaccine out at speed in the way we did. And then in late or the autumn of 2020, the news broke around the world that there was a vaccine that it was incredibly effective and that it would be available within weeks but that the crucial thing in getting that vaccine out the door was having an effective cold chain and not just any cold chain a cold chain that was very different to the one we know in our in our in our day to day a cold chain that was able to deliver a vaccine safely and securely at minus 75 degrees centigrade and my phone went nuts. Lots and lots of media inquiries, discussion about how cold chain worked. It gave the brand of Cold Chain Federation a huge boost of awareness, and um, I was very grateful for that. And I was very pleased to to be able to educate a new opportunity to talk about cold chain. What I was very conscious of, though, was that I wasn't involved, and most of the com- businesses across the cold chain weren't actually directly involved in distributing the vaccine. There was one company, however and that company was anti UK. Quite understandably, they've been pretty uh, focused on getting the job done over the last 18 months. I'm not talking that much publicly about their experience. They've chosen to talk to us. They've chosen to talk to me in this podcast. Paul Wilkinson took me round his facility. And he also is speaking at our conference. Cold Chain Live is a chance for us to reflect on um, where we've come from, how we got through the pandemic, and how we're coping with the situation we're in today and the next few months and years. And I think that Listening to the story of the vaccine rollout, listening to the power of what logistics can do, how groups of people with skill, experience, and passion for getting the job done can really achieve. And that is the story of Movianto UK. So here it is for the first time the story of the COVID rollout, exclusively for the Cold Chain podcast. Paul Wilkinson, welcome to the Cold Chain podcast. Thank you. I'm going to ask you lots of questions over the course of the next half an hour or so about yourself and, 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 and the business. But I need to start with one conv- thought that's occurred to me ever since I knew that we had the chance to speak to you. The Lancet said in June that the COVID vaccines has saved estimated a half a million lives. Being the person that leads the team that made that happen, how does that make you feel?
1: Uh, I, I think it's probably um, a sense of... Um, jubilation really that we were able to play our part in in the vaccine rollout program because although you're sat here with me today and yes I lead the organization Movianto uh, there's been a lot of a lot of other people a lot of other organizations that were involved in in sort of placing the vaccine uh, in the hands of the NHS
0: and I think it's very hard to underestimate the scale of what was involved in going from zero to vaccinating or distributing, I think it's 140, nearly 200 million uh, vaccines. Um, is there? Can you sort of sort of summarise what you think the the, the scale of that challenge was, and how and, and and how you as a business sort of took that on?
1: Sure. I, I mean, the, the vaccination program certainly in the UK was the was the largest in in history. But if I, if I try and now and sort of evaluate how we did it and, and what it meant to the people involved, it's sort of a little bit surreal because I, I try and place myself back 18 months, and we were in a just in a very, very unusual place trying to do something that hadn't been done before. Uh, I would say that we were all operating at, at high levels of adrenaline for for many months leading up to you know the first vaccine being, uh, available to be distributed in early early December 2020 um, but there was months of work went on prior to that that was yes the sort of the major moment that people stood up and, 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 and understood what was going on but there was months and months of work.
0: It's prior. quite a small team as well isn't it I mean we think about it in terms of scale I mean the numbers of vaccines is, is, is huge. But the actual number of people involved and the infrastructure involved is actually relatively small. It certainly sort of strikes me and because I was getting lots of questions during the time being the Cold Chain Federation about what was the logistics operation like. Yep. And I was, you know, didn't know, but I was sort of what was quite obvious to me was actually the scale of it, it was much smaller than you would you would imagine. So can you give us a sense of how many people were involved?
1: Yeah, I think if we if we talk about from from sort of when we first started distributing the the first licensed vaccine in, in I think it was the 8th of December 2020. We were around about 450 additional people we had brought in to the business in, in the sort of the previous six months leading up to that. I mean, we decided alongside um, what was Public Health England at the time, but is now UKHSA, that we needed to run a, a dedicated solution around this vaccine. We couldn't afford it to impact uh, on any part of our other core business, and at the same token, we we couldn't afford this to fail. I think if that was one message that was given to me when I was sat down with with various government officials, was whatever happens, this cannot fail.
0: Yeah, yeah. And come come talk. I'm gonna talk walk through a bit more the sort of different stages of it, if, if that's okay, a bit later on. But let's let's start probably with a bit more about you, Paul. If that's okay, um, you joined Movianto in June of 2020. Um, so during the pandemic, um, as it was we as as but before that, what was your sort of background in in, in logistics and what brought you to that job? this
1: yeah. well, job? Yeah, I mean I, I mean my my life has been predominantly logistics. Um, you know after a, a spell of seven or eight years in the, in the Royal Navy, I, I left and um, sort of mid to late '80s, I was in my first logistics job uh, in, in traditional sort of freight forwarding, mm-hmm. air freight and sea freight. And you know, I'm still in in logistics now. Um, I think logistics is so broad. So I've I've done it uh, predominantly in healthcare mm-hmm. uh, for probably the last 16 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd I'd say it's my safe space uh, of logistics, if you like, in terms of the of, of the product, in terms of how I found myself in Movianto in the middle of a pandemic, um, as as public knowledge, uh, Movianto was uh, sold um, in the middle of the pandemic, which uh, was probably not the best time for something to conclude. Mm. Um, but The those, key word was conclude? Absolutely, it was conclude. You know, the, the, the business wasn't put up for sale in the, in the midst of a pandemic. It was a, a long-running thing that just happened to come to fruition uh, in June. As part of that acquisition, I was brought into in um I guess really with two two things. One was to to understand where we were in terms of the preparation for for any vaccine that may be licensed, and I think that's the that's the key thing at that particular stage. Um, yes, we had a lot more inside knowledge than than most people had at that particular time.
0: Yonviento was already the preferred uh, distributor partner of the NHS. Absolutely, that
1: context. yeah. I think to. There was, you know, some people have asked me, you know, well, why did Movianto uh, have the contract for, for COVID vaccines? Is we actually were the incumbent contract holder uh, for childhood vaccines uh, and other um, vaccines within the government portfolio. So we were the natural choice. We, you know, A, we had the experience of, of handling vaccines, although as I'm sure we'll come on to a bit later, there were some different challenges when when tasked with um, with trying to cover the breadth of the cold chain requirements for yeah. for these particular vaccines,
0: but also, but in terms of your own sort of background, you, you create, you built a business of your own, didn't you, I for, did, for yes. another year called Stock UK. Yes, um, that was something that you built from scratch. It was. Yeah. Um, and what was it? What did it do? What was its uh, what function did it play? So,
1: so Stock was uh, again, it was a logistics company um, in in healthcare. Um, I saw a particular niche in the market that. That wasn't being filled by the major players at that particular time, which was around managing products um, that were on consignment from medical device manufacturers, working with the NHS on how to manage inventory within within hospitals and at ward level. So again, it was it was purely logistics. You know, we we started then to build a, a sort of a pick pack operation with those particular clients, which were the. Who, who, who's who of, of medical devices, so Boston Scientific and Medtronic and Abbott. And um, yeah, then that business grew, uh, and then we started to, to open in Germany and, um, and the Netherlands. And then in, in 2014, um, I became um, part of a lot of interest in, in the outside world and wanted to acquire stock and after a couple of um, lengthy conversations with a couple of interested parties, I felt that stock, for me, needed to go on to its next level. Our customer base wanted a more global approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes you have to just acknowledge that sometimes you're not the best person to, to, to take that step, and, and I think we needed more resource, we needed more expertise, and I think one thing that I'm not... Um, not scared of admitting is there's there's better people than me uh, in lots of different areas, and I like to leverage that, and that's certainly what I do here.
0: The, and that's one of the thoughts that occurred to me is obviously being an entrepreneurial business person who built your own business and time, did that with that with those skills, those aptitudes the sorts of things that worked well during this the phase that you found yourself in building, delivering the COVID program for Movianto. Uh,
1: it's an interesting question, and I hadn't really thought of it that way. But I think if if i do think about that then i then yes uh, um there is an element when when setting up your own business and running your own business where you have to be prepared to take risk uh, and i think it's about calculated risk sometimes that calculation is riskier than uh, than others but i but yeah i th- i think with hindsight my approach was more about what solutions can we put in place to cover the breadth of every eventuality? And, and yeah, I think that probably is, probably helped in this, this instance.
0: Thank you. So let's, 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 let's talk about COVID vaccine. You know, um, pretty much everyone in logistics, certainly in British everyone in the country followed the story of the evolution of the vaccine. It's probably a bit hazy now in terms of the dates. And I was trying to remember them. I'm doing a bit of literally Wikipedia research to remi- remind myself of the timelines. Yeah. Uh, that we all lived through. But I guess the key day was 8th of December 2020 when Margaret Keenan and William Shakespeare yep. were the first two uh, people to get the vaccine. That was the first day of yep. the rollout of the vaccine. How, how, how much sooner before the 8th of December was Movianto involved in planning for that, for that rollout programme?
1: Uh, they were involved uh, right back at the beginning of 2020. So it was um, twofold, really. One, there was the... Um, initial um, call upon Movianto with regards to distribution of the PPE, mm-hmm. uh, and then it was a move more towards okay. Well, what is the what is the vaccine rollout program actually going to look like? And and the most difficult part of those early conversations was what is it we're actually going to be dealing with? Because uh, you know we predominantly most vaccines are moving in two to eight. Um, some move at minus 20. So that was what we could call upon in terms of past experiences and and what we do as Movianto with the distribution of the childhood vaccine programme and the flu vaccines. But the big thing for us was to try and work with UKHSA and the MHRA to, to understand what do they think the vaccine will look like in the fullness of time, and and that was a that was a difficult a uh, difficult process to be in,
0: and I guess that minus seventy uh, requirement, which was the I remember it being the only piece of news that yeah. once once Pfizer had announced that, it, that the first and they were like a few days, yeah. that they that they had this ninety five percent efficient um, efficiency yeah. uh, vaccine, and that we that, that this idea that it had to be transported at minus seventy or minus seventy five. Um, came to light. I was getting lots and lots of cold calls at the time. What does that mean? How's that, how, what, how does that cold chain work? Is it possible? Is it viable? Um, how early on did Movianto know that that was going to potentially going to be the requirement?
1: I, I would say we had fair indication that we were going to be looking at an ultra cold temperature vaccine, probably August. Of and uh, it needs to be
0: ultra cold. Well, the idea of ultra cold is that that is the point at which it literally slows down any kind of um biological change in the product isn't it that's 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 my understanding yeah um so um but there were no we we were talking about this earlier i said wonderful thank you for taking me around and showing me the facility um the minus 70 um supply chain didn't exist did it as a a thing at any kind of scale so um how, how did um how did, how did you make the decisions, or how did the, the, the way that we now know how to do it, or you know how to do it, come into being? How did that evolve?
1: Well, I think once you know, once we were confident that there was going to be a, an, an ultra-low temperature vaccine at, at circa minus 70, that was when, so when was that, August? You know, we, we're ordering minus 75 freezers. You know, we're setting up the infrastructure well before anything was was licensed
0: I mean a minus 75 fridges did exist they were yeah. a thing if you go to most laboratories or sort of hospitals in the country there'll be a small minus 75 fridge somewhere on the premises in most cases but what I've seen downstairs is is rows and rows of these fridges lined up in that was so that was just first I guess the first job was to acquire enough of those
1: absolutely in And a I've, global race for them absolutely and I, and I think that's where we you know we were we were one of the first countries if not the first country to to actually start um, getting that vaccine out in the in, in the hands of of our healthcare care in, in the hands of the nhs to be able to administer those and the only reason that was possible is because we had taken some early decisions alongside or, or UKHSA uh, had taken some early decisions i think it's i think a lot of the credibility a lot of the credit for for how quickly this program started sits with UKHSA or, or what was Public Health England really and, and NHS supply chain. I mean we we were we were asked to deliver solutions but ultimately the decisions on on various times of, of when we could go and do things were that they sat with other people. So I think all credit to them.
0: I mean, it's worth describing, actually, what we're talking about, and I've mentioned it slightly, but, you know, one thing that strikes me is I've, you know, b- coming from the Coaching Federation, I'm used to walking into warehouses that are air-cooled. What I've been in downstairs is not air-cooled, it's, it, it is an ambient space with, 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 with freezers in it. Um, in terms of the physical operation of how you sort of pick and operate, can you sort of briefly describe how, the, how that works?
1: Yeah, so with, I mean, with the most complex pick is, is, is the Pfizer vaccine, the mm-hmm. minus 75. And as, and as you've said, if, if anybody can imagine a, a large domestic upright freezer, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we have hundreds of. Um, the complexity around the process has always been around the speed of which the transition from being in the freezer to, to being boxed in dry ice is a very, very short window. And and the process um, is quite rigorous. Um, when you know when you open the free any one of the freezer doors, you you can only have that door open for sixty seconds. You've got to complete the pick in sixty seconds and and have that freezer door shut. And then, what you can what you what you're unable to do is open that freezer for another hour and a half. So. It's, it's quite – the reason that we have these long lines of, of, of hundreds of minus 75 freezers is because of the complexity of the pick. You know, it's not because of – I mean, yes, we, you know, we, we ramped up to some quite significant numbers uh, of vaccines during the pandemic with the, with the Pfizer one. But it is that pick. It's that sort of restriction of I can only get one pick out of this freezer every, you know, every hour and a half. Um when we talk about the Moderna at minus 20, slightly easier pick, um, although a little bit colder for those people, because they, the minus 20 is a walk-in freezer rather yeah. than, you know, the minus 75 is... Uh, you wouldn't be walking into a minus 75 freezer. No, I
0: mean, that, well, literally, I remember, remember lots of conversations about whether that was even possible, and if the yeah. answer is no, it's not. Not, yeah. not, not in an operationally uh, sound way. Yeah. Um, imagine People start imagining spacesuits and Absolutely. all this kind of, all kind of stuff. Um, Go back, so go back to the 8th of December then. So the 8th of yep. December was the, was the first day of, or the first, the first public-facing day of that, of that, yes. this, that supply chain up, ramping up. And then sort of over, what, six to eight weeks, there was just a dramatic ramping up of the amount of stuff going out. I mean, how, how, can you give me an idea of the, spe- the velocity at which you were operating at that time?
1: I mean, I mean, our busiest day would have been around about two million doses would have been picked, packed, uh, and dispatched uh, and delivered out to out to the relevant network. Um, some of it was was mass vaccination centres. Some of it was directly to some of the wholesalers um, to to assist in that final mile distribution of, of of that. How
0: many locations were you
1: working for? Gosh, without without actually going and checking, uh, uh, probably seventy five.
0: Seventy five different locations doing pick, picking at. Oh, sorry, no. Delivering to 75 locations. Delivering to 75 locations, yeah. yeah but yeah. picking from two? One. Picking
1: from two. Or, well, three, actually, because of uh, Northern Ireland. So we we had a separate uh, operation that we built in uh, in Northern Ireland to serve that market.
0: I'm just I'm sort of trying to, try to encapsulate in my mind the, the, the scale of that kind of operational kind of minute-by-minute, second-by-second kind of oversight that was going on in in the team. I mean... How, I guess you were very involved yourself, I and mean, you said you were literally living on site for that for that for that period. I guess your management team were as well, and your and your supervisors. And how did how did that all? What was the feeling around the team and and, and, and the focus at that time?
1: Yeah, I, I would say there was an awful lot of anticipation. The I mean, we knew in advance when it was likely to be the first outbound. So so we knew it was, or we were reasonably confident it was going to be December the eighth. Mm-hmm. Because um, again, you know, we were we were privy to to information that the general public weren't, um, so that we could ensure that we were we were ready for when um, that the taps were going to be turned on. So a lot of apprehension beforehand. As I yeah, I spent you know months up in uh, in the main site with my team and also with NHS supply chain, uh, also with UKHSA. We were all you know we were meeting five or six times a day um making sure that we were ready making sure that we had every every eventuality covered and of course you know we didn't um you know it's it's impossible to to cover them all um but a lot of anticipation Is there um, any, are
0: there any specific um things that came up in the build, in the lead-up, that were sort of issues, that were management challenges that you sort of didn't anticipate and had to react too quickly that you could explain or describe?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I think one of the biggest ones um, was around the when the Pfizer vaccines come come into us, they have temperature data loggers uh, within them. We had made some assumptions that we would be able to download that data um, over Wi-Fi, given that we were in the middle of a of a massive steel building, um, that didn't work. Uh, the only way that we could download the data was over four uh, G network. Mobile phones, was th- there just wasn't one. Um, so I think at that particular time, um, you know, I reached out to um, to Nick, the CEO of Vodafone. Um, who probably in any other time would have probably totally discarded my um, my attempt to, to make contact with him. Why would he want to speak to me? Um, but yeah, within the hour, you know, um, Vodafone are back on the phone. What can we do? What do you need? Um, and then the following morning at 6 o'clock, there is a massive 4G mast that should have been at, at Glastonbury with a crew of 30 you know, totally dedicated people that have had just, you know, packed a bag and, and set off to, to, to build this. So that that was one of the major challenges. And um, and I think also one of the things that we sort of, I don't know, we find a little bit amusing after the event. You know, you think back to some of those things. You think, well, how crazy was that?
0: yeah I mean it's such an evocative thought that the idea of of, of 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 the getting the call and then suddenly the mobilization of that business yeah. that suddenly realized that it had a, a role to play and you know I can imagine it was quite quite dynamic and just one what one, one episode for you you know lots of them and for them which was like the, the thing they they had to deliver is quite uh fascinating and in t- so thinking then about the so that was sort of the first phase i mean how, how episodic was this? Is, is it been a constant flow of, 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 of pressure and demand in terms of the operational delivery of the vaccine or has it gone in ebbs and flows? How, how has it gone from the early days through to now in terms of...?
1: I think if we, if we go back and I think there is sort of um, three... I think there's three phases to, to what's gone on. You know, we had that sort of six-, seven-month period where it was all about trying to second-guess what the vaccine was going to be like, trying to ensure that we built the infrastructure in the middle of a pandemic which was difficult in itself. So there's first phase you know is, is all about preparation and build and and hoping that you've got yourself in the right place for the next phase which is the rollout itself and, and for a period you know that first sort of four months, um, you know it was 24/7 totally manic i mean i was there the evening so uh, margaret keenan's uh, vaccine actually i picked um which was you know one of those little historic moments that you have in your life you know and, and i th- it'll be something that i never forget and i think a lot of people it will just be a what well, and but you know it was it was a it was a culmination of an awful lot of um trepidation i mean i can't i can't tell you how how difficult I f- personally found it with the weight of expectation around some of the decisions that we made as a collective, but, you know, and I think it was made as a collective, so I know that I would never have been hung out to drive was, <laughs> if it didn't Even work You mean a collective out.
0: outside Movianza and your partners like UKHSA and government yep. and such, and not just...
1: Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it was a, it was a very... Um, yeah, and I, I think it's the correct word to use. I think that night was quite emotional, yeah. um, physically getting the, the vaccines out. It was difficult. A lot of external pressure from, from media outlets on us. Um, we were on a blanket ban to discuss what we were doing and whether we were doing it or not. So I found that at times um, somewhat intrusive. Um, you know, but you, you
0: said to me earlier you know, that you said you, you were getting phone calls from the media, and you're like, "Well, why? Well, how do yeah. they even know how to get a hold of me?"
1: And yeah, and then I realized my, that my phone number was on my LinkedIn profile, so so I soon took that off. But it was too late then, I guess. The cat I think it's one of
0: there. those things about logistics business leaders generally is that you're so used to not being in the limelight yeah. that you don't have the same sort of corporate yeah. protections and corporate uh, structures that you've grown up with in the in the in the industry. So those sorts of things, obviously can can play out but yeah i can imagine the uh, <laughs> the thought of yeah. getting phone calls from senior journalists and whatever to asking you questions you know
1: and of course you know they they knew we were doing it yeah um, i knew i was doing it and and it was just you know in some in you know, some of those calls you just sort of saw once why don't you just let me get on with it yeah
0: well, i think that's, that's a really important um point isn't it you know it, people are really the idea that everyone wants to know what you're doing well actually them knowing doesn't help get the job done no. you know you know ultimately let's talk about it afterwards like, yeah. like now let's talk about it yeah. a year, 18 months later rather than rather than uh than at the time yeah. oh, 18 months is it 18 months
1: yeah probably yeah
0: yeah um it doesn't it, it feels like it doesn't feel like that's that long ago and yet it does feel like a lifetime ago doesn't it yeah,
1: absolutely no i, it's like I, I pre-covid
0: I, and post-covid world yeah
1: so. and i think you know, now we're in that sort of third phase. You know, we spoke about the sort of the the what do we build and, and, and then vaccines get licensed and we start to get them out and then we go into sort of the third phase really, which is a it feels a little bit like business as usual type where where the numbers are running at now, but we've got the big booster program.
0: Yeah, which is not um, insignificant. I think to get an idea of scale, I think you know we were talking about earlier, but no, the 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 flu vaccine is about 1.5 million yeah. doses ish. Well, yeah. that's the NHS. We're talking about this booster program being 30 million doses. Is that yeah. right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So I mean, just on order of scale, you know, we're in a different world. And I, well, that would be this. I don't know, just we don't know, but are we mean boosting every year from now on, or uh,
1: I, I mean foreseeable. I, I guess. I mean, my view is just a personal one. I mean, I'm I'm not privy to anything. I think I just try and take a logical look at it and think, well, you know, maybe there'll be a combination vaccine in the in a year or two between you know influenza and the flu and and maybe COVID as well. I I, I don't know, but it, I wouldn't. In terms of the infrastructure that's been that's been built, um, it's been built for longevity. It's not been built for uh, um, you know a short term response. So the, the the infrastructure is here. Um so we're ready for whatever we're asked to do really.
0: Can I ask you some questions about sort of lessons learned and sort of you know broad principles really rather than, than specific details around around so what how unique do you think the management challenge Movian you and Mavianto had in logistics terms how unique was that challenge of delivering the vaccine in the terms of what what or was or do you think there are things that you've taken from it that you can apply more generally
1: I think there's certain elements that you probably wouldn't need to replicate on mass scale again unless mm-hmm. it was something uh something like this I think the the lessons that I take from this is one you can actually do most things yeah. if you set your mind to it, and you have you know, the backdrop of the pandemic was, was totally unique. And, and, you know, I, I hope to never live through another situation where that's created again. But, you know, as leaders, what you try and do is galvanize your team, you you try and get them to understand what the end goal is. And, and you try and get the, to take sort of a collective responsibility and, and, and be part of, of moving forward. And that in normal run-of-the-mill takes a certain skill set. And, yeah. and But in this, it, it you didn't need to motivate anybody within Movianto. They
0: kind of knew what the, the scale of what they had the opportunity a- to do Absolutely.
1: Achieve. And, and, you know, I think, you know, everybody had somebody that was affected at this stage. You know, lots of people had either lost somebody through COVID, um, had family members shielding through COVID. So everybody knew the importance of actually getting this right. And I think when i think back to that first night of the first pick again um there was a lot of people there um in 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 the operation that that night and you could physically see because this was the first live pick you could physically see people's hands shaking as they were lifting these trays out of the minus 75 freezers you know i can't drop this i can you know and it's it's they never would have. If it was just a pizza, they wouldn't have shaken their hands, you know. Wouldn't have. But it was. It was quite interesting. So I think, in terms of the actual cold chain around the minus seventy-five, quite unique. Um, you know, we were packing that all in dry ice and then moving it effectively as an ambient. Um,
0: I think that. Pulse. I mean, sort of, sort of talking techie cold chain. I think that's actually quite instructive. I wonder how, how much we're going to start asking ourselves questions about on first principles about air cooling versus yeah. versus product cooling, as as for solutions for future logistics across the piece. Yeah, um, we, you know, we're doing it for minus seventy, but maybe you could start looking at that sort of solution for for minus twenty type. Yeah, well, the mi-
1: I mean the minus twenty, we moved in, so we packaged it to minus twenty. We didn't we didn't move it in minus twenty vehicles. Mm-hmm. So the only vaccine that we physically moved in a temperature, well, in all the vehicles are temperature controlled. But we're controlling them at ambient, at fifteen to twenty-five. You know, holding around nineteen, twenty degrees as a rule. But the two to eight, um, we move in, in two to eight vehicles, not too dissimilar to to, to standard cold chain yeah. food and, and and the like. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I think I think you told me earlier that it's actually harder to to pack with dry ice to minus twenty than it is to minus seventy.
1: Yes, because it just gets too cold. Yeah. So so that was a big issue. So we had to. Find a different solution for packaging the sort of the Moderna at minus twenty. We, we we just couldn't use dry ice. It would it was just freezing freezing the vaccine. But all of these things, this was what that phase one process was around when we were sort of coming up with all these different you know ideas. And and I think that was that was fun. You know, I think it was interesting to be faced with a faced with a problem, and the problem was. We need to, to vaccinate, you know, some 67 or whatever it is, 64 million people with a vaccine that we don't quite know what it is yet. We don't know what the storage criteria is going to be. We don't know what consumables are going to go with it. So to have that sort of problem posed in a, in a normal sort of commercial environment gives gives you and pressures that we maybe didn't have. Uh, and I think that's...
0: Yeah, talk, 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 about, talk to me about cost. I assume that... You, I don't know if it's money is no object, but I guess there's a different cost dynamic to the, to the dynamic. Because most logistics leaders, it's all about delivering the most effective, consistent, reliable service at the lowest cost possible. Yeah. I guess in this situation, the dynamic was slightly different?
1: Yeah, it, it, it was different. Um, I mean, we were posed uh, with finding a solution. Um Not delivering a costed solution, yeah that 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 wasn't that wasn't the ask. And I think to be fair, it probably wouldn't have been possible to have done that at that particular time anyway.
0: How Um, do you cope with the impulses though? As as a logistics business leader, you must have been sort of struggling with the psychology of 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 not thinking about things from cost cost purposes and cost basis.
1: Yeah, I think certainly a lot of people within Movianto were struggling with that concept. I think coming back to Know, the discussion around sort of my previous you know, of a formation of a business, maybe my mindset is slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, all, all we had to do is we were tasked with delivering a solution that didn't fail. We, we weren't asked to deliver a, a, a solution that, we, that would be um, cost-effective. That, com- that sort of comes later. You know? I mean, we built the infrastructure. Um, we covered every single eventuality. As it transpired, pretty much everything that we um, put in place was used, some to a greater or lesser degree, but it, it, it was used. And I think a lot of the members um, of the Cold Chain Federation will will be familiar with open book um, type contracts. Uh, our government contracts are open book, um, so you know it's it's much easier to work in that way and it's and it's i think you know any accusations accusations towards us in in terms of profiteering or or whatever you know it's uh
0: no 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 absolutely to totally uh totally get that um what's the legacy do you think of of this experience in terms of f- for your business but also just generally around what the cold chain can achieve
1: well i think the, the one, the one thing we've learned, and I think the wider audience has learned from this pandemic, is we need to be better prepared um, because this will happen again, without without question. So we need to be prepared better, and I think where this sort of resonates outside of what we've particularly done with this this vaccine, I think industry as a whole, and certainly around cold chain, I think we need to be better prepared than, than maybe we are. I think I think we need to look to innovate more. Uh I think we cannot continue to run the the, the way that we do, the type of vehicles that we do, the, the 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 type of uh facilities that we operate. Uh it's it's not sustainable. And you mean sustainability in terms of energy and the climate crisis and these sorts of challenges? Absolutely. You know, we, we are now all facing situations where our energy costs are, I mean, to say they're out of control is, is somewhat of an understatement. We have cost pressures within our industry as a whole. We always have done. We've always been an undervalued mm-hmm. uh, part of uh, industry, I feel. Logistics always seems to be the bit that everybody has to pay but doesn't want to pay. Um, We always seem to be the ones that are chipped away. Uh, And I think the one thing that the pandemic has shown is actually we are the most pivotal part of of industry. And I think we need to make sure we grasp this moment in time and don't let it pass us by, because I think this is where we have an opportunity to sort of stand up a little bit and um, and go off the back of, of how much the nation um you know depended upon um logistics yeah
0: um. yeah well there's music to my ears to hear you say that it's exactly the mantra of the Cold Train federation is trying to trying to put out there you know even before the pandemic just trying to make sure people understand that supply chain is the solution to a lot of the problem well it's certainly you know done right it's the solution that brings on to sort of um Paul Thank you very much for talking to me today, but also this this conversation is a precursor to you speaking at our Cold Chain Live conference um, on the eighth of September. Um, Paul, why do you feel it's important to talk now? I mean, obviously, it's something you've not been able to talk about for a long time in terms of it. why do you feel it's an opportunity now to actually sort of start telling the story of, of Cold Chain and what Marviento have done um, at this sort of stage in, in things?
1: I think it's, I think there's probably a few a few points to that. I think one, I'm immensely proud. Of of what everybody did within Movianto and um, NHS supply chain UKHSA, you know, I mean the the list goes on. There's lots of people that have been been involved. I think it's an interesting journey. Uh, I hope that that when I um, speak to the to the audience at the Cold Chain Federation, um, that it'll be something they've not heard of before I, I so there's that element i think there'll be i think there'll be some some interest uh in in what we did
0: thank you very much for giving me your time to say but basically thank you to you and movians over what you did i mean you know i'm i'm a member of the public and i've been vaccinated and my family's been vaccinated and it's all down to the work that everyone did but i think you know being someone who works in logistics i understand like, I start, I've got more of a comprehension of just the scale of what had to be done and how you guys achieved it. So thank you very much for being on the podcast and thank you very much for um, speaking at our conference.
1: Nice pleasure. Thanks,
0: Shane. So there you go. Calm, relatively understated, clear, but incredibly proud. That's the uh, way in which Paul tells this story of, of what he led in the past 18 months and what he continues to lead. It was a real privilege to have that conversation. And it was a real privilege to see the facility, to be in the place where I thought a lot about over the last 18 months because I was being asked. I was being asked to be the expert on how this vaccine was being rolled out. I felt the imposter syndrome at the time. I'm pleased that what I've actually seen is more or less how I told the story. I know that many of you are looking forward to hearing firsthand from Paul at the conference about that story and your chance to ask him his questions. Only two weeks away as I'm recording this from the actual event um anticipation is building it's looking fantastic it's going to be the best event we've run for our industry in many many years so i look forward to seeing you there so that's it for this edition of the cold chain podcast you know what to do subscribe on your favorite podcast app leave us a review tell your friends about us make sure you spread the word cold chain stories deserve to be heard and these fascinating leaders deserve a platform and that's what the cold chain podcast delivers Continue to live. Until next time, stay safe.